Welcome to Just Joy Conversations, where I seek to unite, inspire, and enlighten regardless of what you look like or believe or who you love, one conversation at a time. Check out my introductory podcast on JustJoyConversations.com to learn more about my vision. Hey, JJCers. Thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode of my Just Joy Conversations podcast. If you ran across this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeart, please mosey on over to my website, justjoyconversations.com, to check out my first podcast and learn a little bit more about me and my life coaching that I do. And check out the merch that I have on there as well. So the first podcast, just so you guys have a little bit of background, was actually one about topics that have divided the country over the past two years or so. But the unique twist about this was that it was involving people who had never met each other that were different colors, different political views, different orientations sexually of who they love. It was just a mixture of diversity. And the good thing about it is, guess what? We talked about all of these different perspectives without arguing. Yes, people. People that have differences of opinion that don't look like each other actually had a civil conversation. And in the end, actually made friends and craved for more conversations. So go check that out. And that's actually what Just Joy Conversations is all about, bringing people together one conversation at a time. Because if you think about it, when we go to a therapist, we go and we have a conversation. Why do we have that conversation? We go to have that conversation to heal some part of our inner self that we want to restore and make well again. And that's what Just Joy Conversations is all about, because I think that with everything that's going on in this world, that's what needs to happen. It's more conversations. I mean, we're living in a world of texting, social media, communications, but we're not actually coming together and having those conversations. So one conversation at a time, bringing us a little bit together with each one is what Just Joy Conversations is all about. So today was actually going to be about me talking about the evolution of me, aka Just Joy, and what the Unity for America Matters movement was, which is what Just Joy conversation started out to be. But in light of the things that happened in Buffalo, New York recently, I felt like I needed to start off with talking about that because that kind of plays into what Just Joy Conversations is all about and what Unity for America Matters is all about. Unity for America Matters, by the way, is the acronym of UFAM because I feel like UFAM, we fam, we all fam. You know what I'm saying? We all should be one big family. I know that we're not there at all yet. And honestly, it seems like Unity for America doesn't really matter to a lot of people as recent events have shown. So hearing what happened in Buffalo, New York, with the targeting of melanated people, 
If you don't know what melanated means, check out the first podcast or even Google it. That'll give you a little bit more insight into why I use the word melanated. But anywho, targeting people to cause them loss of life just because of what they look like is totally bogus. It makes me think about 2015 when Dylan Roof shot nine Black people in a church in Charleston, South Carolina. This time it's Buffalo, it's 10. I mean, this just goes to show this hatred isn't just a Southern states thing. And there really are two things that stick out in my mind about this particular heinous act of evil. Uh, The first thing is with each of these situations, both young white males were allowed to surrender. They clearly had committed a massacre, but when the police finally got to them and were able to apprehend them, they didn't go in guns a blazing. They gave them the luxury of surrender. Now, I don't know about you, but if this was a different situation, let's just say, let's just say it was a terrorist. That person would not have been given the opportunity to surrender. They would have been dead bullet in the head. Life goes on. So I do have a problem with that in that it depends on whoever it is that has perpetrated the crime of terrorism. Depends on what you look like, how you'll be treated in the end when it's all said and done. Now, we all know that this had been a routine traffic stop of a black man who had done nothing as heinous. It would not have surprised us if we heard another story of a police shooting after the end of this encounter. I mean, George Floyd was killed for less. I definitely have a problem with how people are apprehended and treated when they've committed a crime. Second thing that sticks out to me is that there is no way there wouldn't be civil discourse if a melanated person had killed, went into a church, a Catholic church, and killed nine white people and went into a suburban Walmart and killed 10 white people. This country would be crazy. And I think that there needs to be equality in our reaction, no matter what color the person is that has been the victim of the crime and who the perpetrator has been. Those are the two things that that really stick out to me. But like I had mentioned in the beginning of this conversation is, we need to start having more conversations because the unhidden contempt and malice for people that look like me has just gotten way, way out of control. I mean, people can say guns are the problem. And yes, guns are a problem. But I believe the bigger problem is addressing the mentality before the gun gets in the hand of a person that portrays these acts of ignorance and evil. If we started on an elementary level and had not just classrooms that were integrated, but integrated classrooms that actually showed the people in the classroom that were integrated, how to like each other, how to understand each other, 
and how to see that they were no different than we were except by the outer appearance of their skin, I think that could cause a bit of a change in a positive way. Kids go to school every day, but guess what? They're just like adults. Adults, we have our own little cliques. We have people that look like us that we hang with. We have people that like what we like that we hang with. Kids are no different. I mean, little black kids go and hang with little black kids. White people, little white kids go and hang with the white kids. Hispanics, it, it's all the same. So you still can be separated even though you're integrated, if you know what I mean. So we had training in school at the school elementary level saying, hey, let's do small groups together. Let's actually have a mixed up bunch of people that look different from each other. Spending time with each day, spending time with each other each day together. Maybe we could have nipped out the bad home training or environment this young man grew up in. Maybe we could have cut some of the hatred off at the knees by him being able to see the head. I don't have to hate these people because of what they look like. They're no different than me. That is one thing that I believe needs to happen at the school level. I mean, we are trying to get there in the workplace. Trust me, a lot of companies got a long way to go with that too. We have diversity and inclusion, but that is something that companies have option to not take part in. I know from firsthand experience about that. So we, we need more engagement with people that we wouldn't necessarily have conversations and dialogue with. I mean, even going to work, you might work with black people, you might work with white people, but do you really know anything about these people outside what you see portrayed in the media? Oh, let's take it a step further. Do you even really have people you call friends that don't look like you? I've asked this question a lot. And the answer might surprise you. Most people say no. In the true sense of the word of what a friend is, somebody you have regular conversations and dialogue with, you know their families, you go on vacations with, you go hang out at their house, your kids interact with each other. How many people that fit this criteria in your life that don't look like you? Things that make you go, hmm. The media doesn't do a really good job of showing Black people in a positive light. We do go to college. We don't rely on the system. We do graduate with honors. We are CEOs. We do own companies. We are millionaires and billionaires. But this is not the type of portrayal that we see in the media of us. And when I say we are millionaires and billionaires, I mean outside of just playing professional sports. That is not how most Black people achieve their wealth. That is the exception and not the rule, just for the record. So I don't want you to hear me saying all this and say, oh, we got a sister Al Sharpton, because no, that is totally not what I am. I am about the kaleidoscope of everybody. I'm gonna call out wrong, whether it's from a Black person or from a white person. But we just have to be able to have those difficult conversations with each other to even progress further along in this healing process. So like I said, we pay and sit for an hour with the therapist to get healing. We need to have an hour 
with just joy to get healing too in these conversations one at a time. So enough of the heavy stuff. Hopefully the other stuff that I'm going to talk about that has happened in, throughout my life is going to be more hopeful and inspiring and keep you to keep pressing on and don't stop believing. I am an avid Journey fan. That's probably something different that you don't hear uh, Black people say, but I love Journey. Don't stop believing is my life mantra because I believe that you do not, should not ever stop believing in anything that you think you can do, anything that you want to do, any dreams that you have, don't stop believing in them. Because the minute that you let those dreams die, then a little piece of yourself dies too. And you don't come into fruition of what it was you were created to be. And that would make me sad because you got a lot of, got a lot in you. I don't know you, but you're here. You have life and you're, you're breathing. So there's something out there for you to do. So let's get to it. So about me, I want to give you a little bit of background about me because I want you to see that my heart is in everything that I talk about with each episode and it's shaped on the experiences that I have gone through. So first, baby joy. I was adopted when I was six months old into a wonderful family uh, in Dayton, Ohio. I have a sister and I have two beautiful nephews and a sweet, adorable niece. And I'm a part of the Metcalf Spears family. And so that's my background. That's my tribe. Because of the wonders of ancestry DNA, I was able to find my blood relatives, some of them. Shout out to Treva, Darlena, Gladys, Edna, Ernest, Miriam, and Jeff, and a whole host of others. Thank you guys for embracing me because we know some of the biological family did not. But anyways, so I was adopted at the age of six months old. I was able to find out who my birth mother was and information about my biological father. Two things that hit the hardest for me is knowing that I was the youngest of four children. I had a brother who had gotten murdered in his 20s. Another brother who was incarcerated but still living, who was released a couple of years ago. I've gotten in contact with him. I've met him. And I have a sister who unfortunately became um, a victim of the streets as well. I don't know where she, she is, if she's living or not. But as you see, me being adopted was the good part of my story, of my origins, because I could have been a casualty of some of the fa same destinies that, that my siblings had, but I'm an unapologetic believer because the Lord saw fit for that not to be the case for me. So you can actually go and get a shirt that says unapologetic believer from my website, merchandise. And I, because I say that loud and proud because there's so many things that have happened in my life that can only be explained by a higher power. So I'm unapologetic about that. The other thing that I found out was on my birth certificate, the address of my mother was the Dayton Mental Health Facility. So there was a possibility that I could have had mental illness, but thank you, Jesus, that I think I'm safe 
insane in my mind. I'm not insane in the membrane. So that does, though, endure me to have a heart towards people with mental illness, mental health. If you're struggling with that, talk to me. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to encourage you because it is not your fault. And sometimes all a person really needs, even if they do have a mental illness, which depression and anxiety are categorized as mental illness, sometimes all you need is a hug and somebody to say hello and hear your story. So I'm that person for you. Should you fall in that category, go to my website, book time with me for free. I love to chat and be your professional friend. Second thing that stands out about me is that I was not a product of love. I actually was a product of my mom being sexually assaulted and I was conceived in that process. So already coming into this world, I had two strikes against me. I wasn't conceived in love and I could have had mental illness, but I did not. So unapologetic believer will be a theme of my story. First, we'll start about what actually fueled my fire for unity. Hearing what you've heard so far about my thoughts about the state of our race relations today, you might be like, we don't know what she is. Is she Malcolm X type, Al Sharpton type? What actually made me so, so passionate about unity is in high school, I went to a predominantly white high school. We had about 20 people that were minorities or melanated in my graduating class of over a thousand. So I had never really saw racism up front in personal. This was in the early 90s. But I did take a chance and run for class vice president back then, my senior class. And I did win. And when that announcement was made, the next day, actually had a flyer stuck up on my locker that said, near go home. Had the continent of Africa and a gorilla on the front of it. And that really, really made me pissed off. There's no other way to say it. What really made me mad was going to the principal. At that time, we had skinheads in the school. So everybody knew who the culprits probably were for doing that, but the principal wouldn't do anything about it. And that was my first look up close and personal about being treated differently or with malice because of the way I looked, being Black, basically. But the good thing that came out of that situation, I always try to find a silver lining in everything, is that we had what were called the jocks. And then we had the other people, skinhead folks. And so there was going to be like a big brawl with the jocks, which were the, the athletes going to battle against the skinheads at the school. And so that gave me hope that these athletes that didn't look like me were willing to go to bat for people that look like me in the school. And so that whole dynamic let me see that, yes, there were bad people. There were bad people that didn't look like me but there were also good ones. And so they gave me hope and probably has dictated the way I view people to this day because I know that there are bad in every society or every culture, but I don't think we look and, and realize that enough. It's not just one culture that's bad. There's bad apples everywhere. We need to look at that before we start judging people. But that, that shaped 
pretty much who I am. And so I've been in a fight, the unity crusade is what I call it, ever since. So that was one significant thing in my life that happened for me to have just joy conversations right now. Another thing that happened, and not a lot of people know about this, probably not anybody really knows about this, is that in my early 20s, I actually contemplated killing myself, but but this is another unapologetic believer moment in that it was a bad relationship that I was in and had such a toll on my life, my little young 20-something life, (laughs) that I just, you know, I I, I didn't want to, I don't want to live anymore. I didn't want to go on anymore about this guy, blah, blah, blah. So I had planned out to take a lot of pills, New Year's Eve. I believe this was in 1999. And I was going to go to church and then, you know, say bye to everybody. They wouldn't know I was saying bye to everybody. But then I was going to go home and take these pills and bring in the new year in a new place, so to speak. And that night, my pastor, Bishop John H. Matthews Jr., because I went to church on New Year's Eve, he stopped at the end of the service when we were all dismissing and he was praying and he said, hmm, the enemy is trying to kill someone tonight. And I'm, you know, not paying any attention to this. Like, he's talking about me. And he stopped and he came over and he immediately started praying for me and asked everybody to start praying for me. And some of you listening to this, know me from that period of time. You might remember this evening. And after he prayed for me, I went back home. I flushed all those pills down the toilet. And I obviously didn't go through with the plans to end my life over a a reason right now that I even look back on and can't believe I was even having such a crazy thought. So I understand how it feels to not want to be here anymore. No matter what your reason is, if you're listening to this, and you might be feeling like that, you might be feeling like the world would be a better place without you. But I tell anybody that even has an inkling of that in their mind, that you say that, but you picture your funeral, picture the people that will be there crying because you are no longer a part of their life in this world. The world will be a sadder place, a worse place without you in it, especially to the people that love you and care about you, even people that you don't even realize love and care about you. I encourage you not to think like that about yourself. And look at me. If I had gone through with that almost 30 years ago, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. And I wouldn't be doing, hopefully, shedding love and happiness to everybody and making a difference. So I encourage you, if you're feeling at a low moment right now, reach out, talk to me. We can definitely get you through to the lemonade side of things. When life gives you lemons, you can always make lemonade. Just always remember that. So that was a pivotal point in my life. And that was in my 20s. And so fast forwarding to another influential time 
period is that I actually got involved in the corporate world and working. And that was where I had my second experience with racism for up front and close and personal in the workplace. So I really would say that I think there's more discrimination against women in the workplace than anything. But if you're a Black woman, you, you have a double whammy. <laughs> I am both of those. And so I did experience being treated differently in a number of occasions. And the industry that I worked in was the automotive software uh, space. And so, if you know anything about cars, you know that it's a, a male-dominated world. And not a lot of Black dealership owners or Black people really in car dealerships in management positions or executive positions. So that, that was a challenging period of time, but I did have a very good male manager mentor, uh, Larry Horseman. I Oh, a lot of who I am to him. So shout out to you, Larry, wherever you are. And that also reinforced my belief that you cannot judge people by what they look like or assume how they will be. Because he saw a little a little peon person, me, and saw the need to cultivate me and raise me up to uh, the standard that he knew I could live up to. So that was something that made me know that it was something I had to do to let people know not to hate people just because of what you thought they might be like. So thank you for that, Larry. You are a reason for Just Joy Conversations to even be in existence. So if you are going through things, you know, in the workplace that maybe not even discriminatory, but you're feeling frustrated about just where you are in life, you can always change the narrative. There is something about you that you possess that only you can do. And I'll tell you what, whatever that it is, is something that you can make money from. I mean, you might be a funny person. I mean, Kevin Hart is very funny and I'm sure that growing up, his life goal was to be a comedian and be a millionaire from that particular trait that he possessed. So whatever that it is that you have, go out on a limb and try to do something outside of your nine to five if you have one to try to cultivate it. Like me, I like to talk as I'm doing right now. And I am making a living in my nine to five talking to people all day. But I'm also outside of my nine to five talking to people. And so it can be the tiniest thing that you know that you do well, but expand and capitalize on that because you never know that sky's the limit. I mean, at the end of the day, this is America and people have done big things with little things. Some stuff that we even think are crazy things. <laughs> so I just say, go for it. Don't think that any idea that you have is stupid because nothing, there are no stupid ideas. Well, there are some stupid ideas, but they might not be stupid because we like seem to like stupid things sometimes as Americans. So I'd say go for it. So my, my corporate journey was a very significant thing. The flip side of that is I had to work my way through college 
And I did get my degree at a, a late age in life, later than, than most, but I did get it. I made sure that I would have it before the age of 30. And I did. So you can still go back and get your GED. You can go back and get as all kinds of online courses now that will allow you to still go out and get that piece of paper. So go for it. Don't don't stop. And you would be surprised at how good you feel about yourself once you do that. One step at a time. So I got through all that. And then in one of my business trips, I was actually in New York and it was a, a winter storm and I got into a really bad accident. Um, going to the airport, going home. I hit and rear-ended the back of a propane gas truck because there was black ice on the road. And my car went airborne, flipped. I apparently blacked out. I didn't realize I did. But the car landed on all four tires. The windshield did not shatter. I got up and walked out of the car. The lady had came to the car and she tapped on the window and they got me out of the car and I totally walked away. I'm an unapologetic believer because when I went to the emergency room, the cop that came in, he looked at me and said, young lady, this is your Christmas gift because it was around Christmas time. He's like, your life is your Christmas gift because this is one of our most deadliest intersections in the state. And I was amazed. I was thankful because when I hit the end, back of that car, that propane truck, I just knew I was gone too, but I believe her in angels and because they were definitely with me on that day. But the good part about that accident is when they did x-rays to make sure that I was okay, is the doctor came in and told me that I had to have immediate surgery because they had found a, a tumor in my abdomen, a very large one. And I'm like, what? I, I don't live in New York. I can't have a surgery. <laughs> so he said, well, when you get back home, you need to go and you need to have an immediate surgery in your abdomen area because this could erupt and it wouldn't be a good situation if that happened. So I got back to Ohio and I had to have an emergency hysterectomy. And this event was very significant to me because obviously uh, you have to have a wound to have a child. And that took away my dreams of being a mommy. And that was a, a rough experience that I had to go through. But the silver lining or the light at the end of that tunnel is had it not been for me hitting that gas propane truck, I would never have discovered that tumor. And I could have been just walking or driving or sleeping and that tumor could have busted and then you would not be hearing just joy. So there may be bad things that happen to you, but I guarantee you that those bad things that happen are for good in the end. So if you go back and look at some terrible things that you might be going through right now, they might be just protecting you from something even worse that could be happening. So you might be going through a divorce 
right now. But it's rather to go through a divorce than end up being battered or killed from a rage because you hear all the time about women being killed by their spouses and then that person, the spouse killing themselves. So things may not be bright right now, but they they actually could end up being a lot worse. And that's an extreme example. But if you are a battered or abused person, I won't say woman because men, you can get battered and abused too. If you're going through that scenario, reach out and get some help with that or reach out to me. I can help you get help with that because that's no bueno situation to be in. That's one thing that I can empathize with you ladies out there that aren't able to have children. I want to encourage you that your situation, if you're going through all kinds of in vitros and trying to have children, you know, by non-traditional means, don't give up hope with that. Because with my situation, I don't have that option. So what you're going through might be bad. It might be challenging. It might be heartbreaking. But look at it this way. You still have a chance. So don't stop believing. You never know when your little miracle might just pop up when you least expect it. So I've been pretty transparent with with a lot of things. And so the last thing I'm going to be transparent about is... I was 45 years old when I finally said, I do. I met my husband when I was 43. And as you know, if you are in your 20s or your 30s and you are single and you are praying for that man to come into your life, enjoy the ride right now while you can. There's so many things you can do on your own. and it's just an awesome period of time. So make the most of it while you can, because when you get married, it's kind of like a job, that dream job you've been looking for, hoping for. You went to college, you studied for this job. And then, you know, after you get that degree, you look at the options that you have, sort of like dating, you go through, you look at the options, and then you find that one. And you're like, yes, this is it. So you get that job, but on day one, you know, you think you have your dream job, but there's no training manual. You just get on the job training, so to speak. Marriage is a lot. It is a job. It's work. Let me tell you, and a lot of you that are married already know it. This will be my fourth year of marriage, but I'll be honest, me and my husband took a little vacation from each other. Because the job was a little bit strenuous. But just being real, you don't really get good at a job. Even if it's your dream job, you don't really get good at it. For about three to five years, I would say, is when you really think you got it down. You can train other people. You're good at your job. So we are in year three and a half. And so not necessarily good at the job, but learning a lot. Vacations are sometimes good because then when you get off the vacation, then you come back, you get to work, got focus time, you're on the grind. So my husband is a very amazing person. We've had our ups and downs just like most couples do. We've had an extra layer of complexity because we are an interracial couple. 
uh, but that'll be another podcast coming soon within the next month. Just talking about, you know, love is blind, but America is not necessarily. So that'll be good dialogue that we'll be having about that. But that all that to say that if you're struggling with your marriage right now or having any issues, if it's really worth it, don't give up. Don't stop believing. And I know lots of people, especially black males, I don't know why. You guys don't like therapy. Therapy helps. Therapy and prayer. But if it if it's worth it, just remember and think back to when you first met and what it was about that person that attracted you. I'm pretty sure those traits are still there, but sometimes other stuff can get in the way. So also make sure that you know everything about the person that you possibly can. Like sometimes we get married and we don't even ask like the legitimate questions like, you know, how's your family? Like, how is your relationship with your your mom or your dad? You know, we don't ask the basic questions that we, we really should. But get to know that person, and that way you can possibly avoid some challenges that you could have avoided if you knew a little bit more and had more conversations. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, those are like the major things in my life that have happened to me over the course of almost 50 years. So if you are out there and you're feeling like an old maid, an old cat lady, Hey, trust me, I was called all those things. And I always felt like people would be like, Joy, when are you going to get married? I've been asked, was I gay? Did I like men? You know how people are. And you just give them the eye roll. I said all that to say, Jam, Joy, and Mike are back. Don't give up on any relationship that you think is worth saving. And remember, why you fell in love in the first place. I'm going to end this podcast with my last story, which is my most exciting story to me anyway, is that you might have a lot of health challenges. You might have gotten a bad diagnosis recently. You might have been struggling with something going on with your health or in your body for a long time. But I just want to pass along some encouragement for you I too have my share of health challenges, but you would never know it by looking at me and you definitely wouldn't know it by listening to me. And that's the way it should be. No matter what you're going through in life, if it's a situation that has you down, don't look like you're down because that just only makes it worse. Try to keep smiling no matter what. It takes more muscles to frown than to smile, I think. Or maybe not, but if that's not true, you just need to smile anyway, because that just makes everything all the better. (laughs) But if you have gotten um, a bad diagnosis as of late or anything, let me tell you my story to kind of encourage you. So in May of last year, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I had challenges, you know, walking up long flights of steps, or I even tried to hike all the time last year. And it hurt. And I was like, this should not be feeling this painful for me to go on a hike. So I kept pushing myself, but I knew something was wrong. Ultimately, after many, many doctors, it was diagnosed that I did have MS. But I had been doing fine since that diagnosis. 
still have some pain, but with the right medication, you know, and a lot of prayer, then you can't get through anything. The other part of my health issues are that I am a type one diabetic. And that has just been something that I've had to deal with pretty much since my early 20s. And thank goodness that I am doing fine with that. Sometimes I have challenges with my diet, eating and all that, but self-discipline is something that I had to definitely get acclimated to. But insulin pumps, if you don't have one and you're a diabetic, I highly recommend. It's a game changer for diabetics and insurance usually covers it. But the, the most significant thing that has happened to me that I have to share with you all is that in November, three days before Thanksgiving, and some of you that know me already know this, I had a stroke in my sleep. I woke up, I couldn't walk, my whole right side was numb, and I just figured it was a side effect of my MS. Well, that numbness didn't go away, I still couldn't walk, so went to ER, and that's where they confirmed that I had indeed had a stroke. Now, they told me that I was going to have at least a six-month recovery time. I couldn't write in my right hand. I couldn't make a fist. couldn't really use my right hand at all. However, the physical therapist department had a mix-up with me. I didn't get a physical therapist appointment. I didn't do therapy at all. So when I went back for my checkup, all was well. Like, my healing is Amazing. And I, I say it's nothing short of a miracle because I'm walking around, skipping around, doing all the things that you definitely would not know that I had a stroke in November if you saw me. So an apologetic believer. But I just said all that to say, no matter what the doctor tells you, how long it'll take you to recover, how many days or months you have left, don't take it as the gospel truth, because miracles happen every day, and I am a walking miracle, because it didn't take me six months to get or recuperate from a stroke, not even six months, not even two months, so that might be something that's hard to believe, but it is true, and I just tell everybody and encourage everybody, don't let stress take over your life, because Eating right and a combination of stress, I believe, was the reason that I had a stroke. So nothing should get on your nerves so bad that it impacts your health in that way. So eat right. Lay off those ribs and bacon if you can. Try to eat clean. Try to eat healthy. But most of all, don't let people get on your nerves because nobody is worth your health. So until next time. Don't forget to check me out on social media at Just Joy Conversations on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, don't stop believing. See you next time.